BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to the Stephen or Else podcast, episode number 17. Five books that you should really consider reading. Welcome to another episode of the Stephen or Else podcast, the most important podcast in all of human history. I'm your host, Stephen, and I want to talk about some books today. Not comics, books. Comic books, books, comics. It can get really confusing. I get it because it's I'm already confusing myself and we're not even a minute into the episode. But I typically talk about comics, and I am going to do a little talk about comics today here in our intro section, but the main topic of conversation this week is is going to be five books, prose books, that I just, I think that everyone should at least consider reading. You know, if you don't want to read them, fine, I can't make you. I think they'll bring happiness, joy, drama, anguish, tears laughs to your life, but uh, I can't make you. All I can ask you to do is just give it a think. Consider it. So as I sit here recording this podcast, Christmas is right around the corner. And if you're listening to this as it releases, this will release on Christmas Eve. So really, for you listening to this on the day it releases, Christmas really is just knocking on your door. If you're listening to this after release day, then it's either Christmas or it's after Christmas. And it ain't, it ain't no, it ain't going to mean no never mind to you. And I understand that not everybody celebrates Christmas. Uh, we celebrate Christmas in the Orr household. People celebrate other things. And, you know, happy holidays to everybody. But uh, we, like I said, we celebrate Christmas. And uh, as, I, as I'm looking, as I am nearing the end of this week that I am in right now, the week before the week of Christmas... And looking at everything that still needs to be done, I'm surprised I haven't uh, burst something within myself because I still got a lot to do. A lot. I, I've got some presents for the kids, but we don't have, we have maybe 10%, 20%. Uh, you know, the good thing is that the kids are old enough at this point that if... Uh, if it's something that they ask for that is something that we can only purchase online, they're pretty good if we tell them, you know what, this is not going to arrive by Christmas. Here's a picture. We got it for you. Uh, it may be a week. And they're pretty cool about that. They will have some stuff to open on Christmas Day, but they may not open 
everything because I don't think everything is going to arrive. And that's just the way it's got to be. Now, we couldn't have gone got away with that 10 years ago, right? There's no way. There's no way we could have gotten away with not having all the presents for them. So that does take a bit of the pressure off. If this was 10 years ago and I was looking at how much I still had to purchase, I probably would have burst something by now. I would have, I would have, uh, I'd be laying somewhere, uh, with hopefully emergency responders throwing me onto some type of wheeled bed to take me to a place to save my life. Please, if I'm ever, if I ever drop and you're around, yes, save my life. Please. I've been rewatching Psych. It's on Prime and I've been rewatching it. And every time I watch Psych, you know what? I've, I've seen all of them a number of times now. So really, it's something that I watch to fall asleep to. But I really do think it would be fun to uh, rewatch each episode with Palin. She's my daughter, for those of you. For those of you who are new, I have three children and a, uh, well, a stepdaughter. So four children. The stepdaughter is is all grown. She doesn't live in the house. She takes care of herself. She's a good kid. The three kids that live in the house, Palin is the youngest. And she, like me, is a big fan of psych. And there's just a, there's, there's a small part of me every time I watch an episode that wants to sit down with her, watch an episode, each of us make notes, and then sit down and, and record an episode about it. And it doesn't have to be here. I could always start a new podcast over on, you know, on, with, a, with a free feed or something. I don't know. But it's something I'm thinking about. I know that uh, a lot, I don't think a lot of my listeners, though, I don't think a lot of y'all watch Psych, I believe. That's just my feeling because uh, I don't hear from a lot of you too much. But the ones I do hear from, I don't think y'all watch a lot of psych. So I don't even know if any of y'all would even be interested in that. It might be something that would just pull in a whole different audience. But psych is one of my top five favorite TV shows up there with shows like Supernatural. And uh, yeah, those are the, those are the only two I can think off the top of my head. Um, Justified was really awesome. I remember really liking that. But Justified and Supernatural are not really something that Palin should watch. Probably won't ever watch. Well, she won't watch now. She's not in her. She, she, she's talked about wanting to watch Supernatural before, but uh, I don't think, I don't know if she will. She may someday. But you know what? That's not what we're talking about. So that's just been running through my head a lot lately is I've got Psych on the brain. If you ever get a chance to watch Psych, you should watch it because it's pretty good. I don't really have comics to talk about this week because I haven't finished. I'm like reading three different books and I'm not finished with any of them because I happen to choose three really big books to read and I'm not getting through any of them. So I've got uh, Iron Fist, the full, I think it's Matt Fraction, Ed Brubaker, uh, David Aha, Aja, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He did art for a lot of it. They got a lot of folks on art, but the main was, was him. And it's the whole, um, Iron Fist has to go back to Kunlun and fight in the tournament. I'm about halfway through that. That sucker's like 12, 13, 14, 107 issues, something like that. It's a big, thick book. And it is a book I picked up from the library. 
And again, I'm only about halfway through it. I'm really enjoying it. I really am. But man, it's, it's, it's just a lot to read. And then I decided a couple of weeks back that I was going to start reading the Spider-Verse for Marvel Comics. It's, it's a, was a big, I don't know if you can hear that airplane. There's always something in there. It's not a train. It's an airplane. But the Spider-Verse was back from 2015, a big, uh, big, uh, you know, event that crossed over all the spider titles and brought in a lot of different spider characters from across the multiverse. And, uh, it's one that I, I'm pretty sure, well, I don't know. I have no idea what into the spider verse the movie is about. And frankly, I don't want to know. I would like to go into that as fresh as possible when it comes out on DVD, Blu-ray, but, uh, I started reading into the spider verse just because of that movie. I figured, you know, it's going to be a number of months before that comes out on DVD. So maybe by then I'll have Into the Spider-Verse finished. I mean, it's only like 600 and some on pages, you know, but um, man, there's a lot in that book and it's really hard to, to, even if I had it finished, there's really not much I could say about it other than, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't really, I mean, I'm about halfway into it and I still don't quite understand what's going on. Uh, all the different universes and all the different spider folk are just confusing the crap out of me. Um, there's stuff that's happening in the main 616 universe that I have no idea what's going on because I haven't cracked open a Spider-Man book in a while. And uh, and yet I'm, I'm still having fun with it. So what's that all about? I don't know. The other thing I've been reading, I got from Hoopla and I bought, I, I bought, I checked it out uh, at the beginning of the month. And I just started reading it like last week. And it's a, it's an Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips book. It's called The Fade Out. And it's got a 2018 date on it. So I don't know if that's when the issues, I don't think that's when the issues came out because there's 12 issues. This, this book collects all 12 of the issues. Um, so the trade, the collection came out in 2018. Uh, but it's, I'm not done with that one either. So yeah, three books that I could talk about, but I'm not done with any of them. But this one is, it's like I said, it's 12 issues. It was written by Ed Brubaker, art by Sean Phillips, and colors by Elizabeth Breitweiser. And uh, it is a murder mystery set in 1940s Hollywood. And not at all for the children. Don't ever put this book in front of your children. (laughs) I mean, it's violent. Uh, I wouldn't let my children read it. I'm not recommending you let your children read it. That's all I'm saying. But it's so far, it's really good. I'm about halfway into that one as well. And that's the one that I've been concentrating on the most. Um, See, the Iron Fist, I read while I'm at home. Because, you know, if I got to step into the bathroom and take care of some business, I will take Iron Fist in there with me. I don't take my phone into the bathroom. Uh, But if if I'm not at home, if I'm out at work... And, uh, that's when I'll read the stuff that's on my phone, such as the fade out. The Spider-Verse, honestly, I'll tell you what, I gave up on that a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I'm going to get back into that. I may, uh, but I was really, I was really kind of hoping to finish the fade out before this episode, but that, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but if you've ever read any of the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips books, like, uh, any of their criminal runs, um, they are, they are a great team, very noir type of books. Um, 
they're just they're just a phenomenal team. I'm I'm glad. I'm actually I'm really glad to see that they're still working together and still uh, creating content together. And I hope they never stop uh, because it's it's just some really good stuff. And uh, hopefully I'll be done with that book before it has to be back by the 23rd. If um, of course that's before this episode comes out. So maybe by the time this episode's out, maybe I'll I'll have it done. I don't know. We'll see. All right, so before we get into the main topic, the five books that you should really consider reading, I want to mention that the music in this episode comes from another nerdcore rapper. Got some for permission to start playing some of his music, and his name is Beefy. You can find him at beefy.bandcamp.com. And so let's listen to a little bit of his stuff right now. Acceptable for grown-ups Your dinner cannot just be french fries Basically life sucks as a grown-up About five years ago I did what I wanted, bro If I didn't feel like wearing pants Then brother, I just wouldn't go Used to rock the microphone On the road for many shows Comic-Con, I spit some flows Then walk my ass to Mexico Predating YOLO Just a fellow with a mile-wide smile Guy living life Closer to the wild side Lonely and was going blind Bought a ticket, take a ride Imagine my surprise When responsibilities arrived Enter the kiddo, the size of a thimble, so cute, make it tremble. I was caught in the middle at the time, I was fine. Little babies, they don't talk much. Drinking, eat the same stuff every other second's lunch. The shows came slower when she got a little bigger. Yo, she may not be my daughter, but she'll always have a father figure. And now she's five years old, and I'm never bored. Putting on pants is like something I signed up for. No life, no fun. Don't you know? Five books that you should really consider reading. Now, I did, uh, I wrote a blog post with these five books a number of years ago and just recently reposted it over on the Patreon. And I thought I would, uh, I thought I'd go ahead and talk about them. Now, I didn't print out the post. Of course, I have the list of the five books here in front of me. And so rather than just, you know, read what's there that I already wrote. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you what the title is. And uh, I'm just going to go off the top of my head and tell you what it is about these books that I really quite enjoy and why I think you should consider reading them. Now, I should mention that I have been reading books for quite a number of years. I've always been an avid reader. I remember before preschool, my older brother teaching me how to read. I was, I was learned on the reading through the Berenstain Bears. That's that's how my memory goes anyway, is that my older brother began teaching me how to read using the Berenstain Bears. But by the time I got into preschool, there was a particular book that I read the crap out of, and that's the first book on our list. And these are in no particular order. This is not like top five books, and the number one is the best. This is in no particular order. But the first book on my list is Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. And yes, this is a kid's book, but it's the book that just freaking stoked the fires of reading love within my belly. I can distinctly remember in preschool, they would, uh, because you only went to preschool half a day, and they would hand out the milks and whatnot, and then you you would lay down on your mat to rest, you know, the, the idea was to rest. 
and you were allowed to look at books or if you could read at that point, you were allowed to read books. But most every most of the other kids just took a nap. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if I found out that the preschool teacher also napping during that time period. I, however, remember reading Where the Wild Things Are over and over and over again back then. And this is about this is about a kid named Max who uh he is uh he's caused, causing some uh, some chaos around the house. He's not being a very good boy. He's got this costume on, so he's he looks like a monster. And he was just running around the house just uh being a mean little kid, just doing stupid kid stuff and wrecking things and so as punishment his mom uh sends him to his room without dinner. And when he goes to his room, um, weird things start happening. Suddenly he's able to, his, his, his wall dissolves and there's a, an ocean in front of him with a, with a canoe or a boat of, it's a, I think it's a boat and he gets in the boat and he ends up in this land with all these monsters and they, uh, they, they have, oh man, I'm trying to remember what it was called. The wild rumpus. Let the wild rumpus begin. And so this kid gets to hang out with these monsters and he's, they're having the wild rumpus and they're just being monsters and they're dancing and roaring and growling and just having a, just a great old time. And the artwork in it was it's just phenomenal. It just kept me engrossed. And uh, eventually though, Max gets homesick. He ends up going back home and spoilers, he gets his dinner. That, uh, there's just there was just something about that book as a kid. I mean, I wanted to be Max. I wanted to get on a boat and go to the land where the monsters were. I wanted to I wanted to be a part of the wild rumpus, which is a funny sounding name even to a, as a little kid, I would go rumpus and I thought it was funny. But if you've never if you didn't read that growing up, you should give it a read. If you've got kids and they haven't read it, they should read it too. It's a classic, classic piece of literature. And like I said, it's the book that I just couldn't put down for, for a long time as a kid. That's That was my go-to book. And it opened me up to a world of just great books. Second book on my list is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This is by Douglas Adams. May he rest in peace. I don't remember the first time I read this. I, I'm pretty sure I was in high school, though. It was either junior high or high school the first time I read this. And I fell in love with it right away. Actually, the first time I encountered Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, we had an old Commodore 64 computer. I was probably in grade school. I don't know if I had hit middle school by that point, but... My older brother, again, the dude that taught me how to read, he's the dude that introduced me to uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Dungeons and Dragons and comic books. So give a shout out to Big Dave. You wouldn't have this podcast if it wasn't for Big Dave. Uh, I call him David. He goes by Dave, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and argue about it. That's just the way it is, uh, you know. My younger brother, his name is, he goes by Mike. I call him Michael. It's just the way it is. Get off my back. Anyway, he had these two, uh, well, text-based video games. If y'all remember Zork, he had that one. And it was on a big old floppy disk. You know, what is it? The three and a half inch, the great big thin ones. Um, 
and he also had this uh, a text-based game for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I remember trying to play that game a number of times and never making it very far. Because, okay, so this is how the book opens up. I'm not spoiling anything here if you've never read the book. It's kind of the entire premise of, of the book. It's, it's what launches our main character, Arthur, into his adventure. But Arthur wakes up and there are bulldozers outside his house. They are going to tear his house down to make way for a bypass. And uh, he doesn't want that to happen. He just found out that this was going to happen the, the night previous. And so he goes out to try to stop the bulldozers from taking his house down. And he does that by laying in front of the bulldozers. Now, having never read the book, when it got to that point in the game, which is pretty much really, I mean, this is the first part of the game. We have not gotten that far. Every time the bulldozers would start coming from the house, I would have Arthur run away. And every time Arthur ran away, the house would get destroyed. A brick would fly out of the house and it would hit Arthur in the head. And he would either, I, I don't think he died. I, I, it would end the game. Basically the game over at that point, no matter what I, I did not think at all about, hey, you know what? I will lie down in front of this bulldozer. That's what I'll do. That did not enter my brain at all. Everything that I tried ended up with a brick hitting me in the head and game over. So that that was my first introduction to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. When I actually sat down and read it, I got to that part and I remembered the game and I went, oh... Had I known, I probably would have really enjoyed that game. But uh, so so the whole point of the book is you've got Arthur who is trying to stop the council from destroying his house to make way for a bypass because you got to have bypasses. They've got to be made. That's a point they make in the book. You got to have bypasses. And uh, as he's doing this, a friend of his, Ford Prefect, comes up to uh, take him down to the pub because something is happening. Ford Prefect, you learn very quickly, is an alien. And uh, spoilers, he tells Arthur that they need to leave because a group of aliens called the Vogons are there to destroy the Earth to make way for a hyperspace bypass. Bypass? Is that what I said? Hyperspace bypass. And so they get off the planet by hitchhiking a ride with uh, some aliens that I believe are the cooks on the Vogan Destructor Fleet ships. They don't like the Vogons very much, so they're very happy to pick up a couple of hitchhikers. Ford Prefect is a writer for the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which at the time... Uh, that this book was written, which was back in the 70s. I, I actually believe it was a radio drama first, and then he wrote the book. Uh, but the book within the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is basically a tablet. It's a freaking iPad is what it is. I mean, this guy, here he is, in the uh, mid to late 70s, is, has um, forecasted, that uh, there will be iPads in the future, and uh, or designed by aliens in a way. That's that's what I that's what the the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book is. And so, apparently, okay. So, and I say apparently a lot. I got to apologize. 
see, not growing up in England, I've I had never heard of this. I I guess they had books in England, Hitchhiker's Guide to uh, Europe or something, which you know folks could buy and they could learn tricks on how they could hitchhike their way across Europe without spending lots of money. And I guess back then it was no big deal to go to just hitchhike your way across Europe. When I would growing up and I would hear on TV, you know, somebody's going to graduate high school, then they're going to backpack their way across Europe. I guess that's what they were doing. They were hitchhiking. They, and, and they would buy a book, Hitchhiker's Guide to uh, Europe or England or Spain or whatever. And uh, so he got this idea for a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And Ford Prefect is a writer and he had come to Earth to do a piece in the book about Earth and ended up getting stranded there for a number of years. And now suddenly he gets an alert that a Vogan destructor fleet is in orbit and he and Arthur get off the planet and the planet blows up. And so now Arthur has to try to uh, live a life knowing that the Earth has been destroyed uh, with an alien. He runs into um, another alien, Zaphod Beeblebrox, who's got two heads and is super cool. And he's got a traveling companion, Trillian, who is the only other Earth person left alive in the galaxy. And uh, it's a humorous book. It's very funny. I actually was just reading on Reddit today. Somebody had posted that they were uh, they were 22 years old. They just read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They didn't enjoy it. What's up with that? And uh, a lot of the responses were, you know, not everybody likes it. Not everybody gets it. Not everybody enjoys the humor. Uh, I, for one, love it. Enjoy the humor. It was a book that then was going to become a trilogy that then became five books and then became six books when Owen Colfer from the Artemis Fowl series wrote a sixth book. Um, God, what was the name of that? It was a great name. Um, and another thing was the name of that book. And so some of the books in the series were, so you had Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Um, you had Mostly Harmless, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. And I can't remember the name of the fifth book. That's going to drive me up the freaking wall. Oh, well, doesn't really matter because we're not talking about that one. We're talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I do feel that this is a book that anyone who loves books just should read. Whether they end up liking it or not, it should just be one that some, that people who read books should read this book. J honestly, just to say that they did. Because you go into any reader's community online, there's going to be a small group just singing the praises of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And to this day, there is a... I, now, I don't, I'm not this deep into it, but there are, there's a day of the year. I think it's the day that Douglas Adams died that is called Towel Day. People are to take their towels with them wherever they go that day because the most important thing that a hitchhiker could have on them at any time is their towel. Their, the towel is a very useful item. It can be used to, uh, of course, wrap themselves up at night if they're on a planet that's very cold. They could soak the corners in nutrients and suck on it if they are out of uh, out of food. They can use it as a weapon. 
And of course, they could uh, dry themselves off on it with it. But ultimately, the entire purpose of the towel is, is if you're hitchhiking and someone comes to pick you up, they see that you have a towel and just automatically assume, well, if this guy's got a towel, then obviously they've got it, they've got it going on. They know what they need, you know, they have everything else they need. They're a very well put together person. Otherwise, why would they have a towel? And so that way, when you then start asking this person, uh, do you have, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, a couple of bucks for some food or a sewing kit or a new parish, you know, just anything that you might need to help further your journey through the galaxy, people are, will be willing at that point to give you that stuff because they just assume at that point that you've missed, you had it all along. You obviously are a very smart person. You have a towel with you. So all this other stuff that you need, you must've lost along the way or it had been stolen from you and so forth. And so they are then happy to provide that for you, the hitchhiker. book on my list is Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. And this is a Western. So we've gone from children's book to humor, sci-fi humor, and now Western. And uh, this is ultimately a book about a cattle drive. And I'll tell you what, the my first introduction to this book was actually the movie, uh, the TV, what was it, five, four, three part miniseries on TV with uh, Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. And for a long time, I avoided it uh, because honestly, the title Lonesome Dove to me, it sounds like a romance that I just assumed it was a romance. And while there is some romance in it, it is not a romance. And during uh, one of those times, I, I go in the, on these Western kicks every now and again, where I just have to sit down and watch Westerns until I've run out of Westerns that I want to watch. And during a Western kick a decade or two ago, I decided, you know what? I'm going to watch Lonesome. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give Lonesome Dove a try. It's a Western. And I was quite amazed with how much uh, this movie was not at all a romance. And so then I ended up reading the book and the book is so much better. So you've got these two uh, ex-Texas Rangers, Woodrow F. Call uh, he was played by Tommy Lee Jones in the movie, and Augustus McRae, who was played by Robert Duvall in the movie. They're living in South Texas in a little town called Lonesome Dove. They are not very prosperous. They had uh, quit being Texas Rangers after they had, as they put it, whipped all the Indians and whipped all the bandits and made Texas a civilized place. So they weren't needed anymore, and so they kind of retired down in this little town of Lonesome Dove to become uh, ranchers. And uh, so 
one of their old Texas Ranger companions, Jake Spoon, comes rolling into their their ranch, which isn't much of a ranch uh, because they're south in South Texas. It's very, very uh, hard pan. You know, a lot of a lot of sand, a lot of rock, a lot of sun. He comes riding in, and he starts telling them all about Montana. He had just come back from Montana, and he'd actually uh, on his way through. On his way back, he stopped in Arkansas, uh, got into a little ruckus with somebody over a card game, shot at the dude with a buffalo rifle, missed him, bullet went through the wall, hit somebody out on the sidewalk, town mayor. So he got out of town before they could hang him. Even though it was a fair fight and it was an accident, he got out of town. Anyway, he ends up down a Lonesome Dove at the uh, the Hat Creek Cattle Outfit is what they're called. And he starts telling about Montana because he's been he's been away for a while. And one of the places he visited was Montana. And he keeps telling him it's a cattleman's paradise. It's beautiful country. And there's nobody up there right now with cattle. And if somebody was smart enough to take a herd of cattle up north, why heck, they could be rich men up there in Montana because it's cattleman's paradise. And uh, Call decides, you know, I think that's what we should do. Gus doesn't want to, could Gus, see, here, here's the difference between Gus and Call. Call does all the work. He is the serious one. Gus is the shirker. He drinks. He uh, makes a lot of time with sporting women. And he does a lot of gambling. But they are like the best. I mean, they love each other. They are the best of friends. But they bicker and argue all the time. And uh, But Call decides, you know what, that's what we're going to do. Let's get some boys together. Let's hire up some cattle hands. We'll uh, cross over into Mexico and uh, steal a bunch of cattle because that's apparently what, what happens a lot. They go to, you know, the, the, there was a, a Mexican bandit who would come up to Texas, uh, Pedro Flores, and he would steal horses and cattle from them. And then they'd go down and they'd steal horses and cattle from Pedro Flores and just went back and forth. And so they decide, well, let's just do this. Let's let's get up a herd of cattle and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll drive them on up to Montana and we'll be uh, rich men. Of course, Gus knows that the only reason Call wants to do it is because Call's bored and he just needs another adventure. And in the end, Gus is, he's kind of bored too. And, and, but the main reason Gus wants to go is because he knows that on the way, they'll go through Nebraska. And in Nebraska is Clara Allen. Clara Allen was the love of Gus's life. And she lived, uh, in San Antonio when they were, were, uh, Rangers. And, he uh, spent a lot of time courting her, wanting to marry her. She ended up choosing another guy, and they went to Nebraska to be horse traders. And so he, the whole reason he wants to go is he wants to go through Nebraska and check in on Claire. So they go. They steal their cattle. They spend a number of nights going into Mexico, stealing a bunch of cattle and horses, and then they, they set off. And that, that's really the crux of the whole story is them driving these cattle from Texas to Montana. And then something happens in Montana that causes one of them, let's just put it that way, to go all the way back to Texas. And it's uh, it's very, the word sprawling comes to mind, epic. If you're a fan of the old West at all, Larry McMurtry really knows how to tell a story. And he, the language, he's got a, he's got a language and a flow that he uses when he, uh, you know, just, just the, the way that his characters talk. I can't read it. I can't read one of his books and not start talking like these folks all the time until I'm no longer reading those books. 
And I'll tell you what, there are times, and maybe that's what I need to do with uh, my Norman, Oklahoma stories. Sometimes I, the best way for me to get into Norman, Oklahoma's head is to watch Lonesome Dove. Because there's a little bit of Gus McRae in Norman, Oklahoma. And once I got Gus McRae in my head, I can typically write some Norman, Oklahoma. So maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to watch some Lonesome Dove again or read the book again. It's been a while since I've read it. But uh, yeah, such a good book. Very, uh, very, I don't want to say detailed, but you really do. You read the book and you're there. I mean, he's really good about that. You're there. You, uh, you're there when they go, you know, they're, they, they're crossing all these rivers. There's, you know, storms that they have to deal with. There's a, uh, a bandit that, uh, at one point they have to deal with named Blue Duck that, man, that there's, it's, it gets really, I mean, there's some, some real violence in this book. And, uh, I mean, it's very real. It's a very, very real. And yeah, that's, that is definitely a book I think you all should consider reading. Obviously, or it wouldn't be one of these books I'm talking about. The next book. Okay. So we're, we've gone children's book, sci-fi humor, Western. What's next? Fantasy, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. With a lot of this stuff, you know, it's like my first introduction to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a video game. My first introduction to Lonesome Dove was a movie. And my first introduction to The Hobbit, also a movie. The animated feature, I think it was Rankin and Bass back in the 70s, late 70s maybe. Man, I would watch that anytime it was on TV. And when you could, when we could start renting videos and we had a VCR could start renting videos, I was always trying to get my parents to rent it because that was around the time when that movie came out, I was starting to get into Dungeons and Dragons because my brother was really into it. So I was, I was really into the whole swords and sorcery and fantasy and dragons and, and, you know, warriors and dwarves and elves and all that crap, man. I was, I was just all into it. And I spent a lot of my youth up, up into my mid twenties reading nothing but fantasy novels. And we probably will do an episode with, uh, my top or, you know, the five maybe fantasy novels or five fantasy series that I think everyone should read. Cause I could talk about some fantasy books. Anyway, uh, the Hobbit, I was still in grade school though, when I first read the Hobbit and the Hobbit is, was written originally for children, but it's not a children's book in the same way that Harry Potter was written for children, but is not really a children's book. You know what I'm saying? It's, it doesn't talk down to the reader. It doesn't dumb anything up for the reader to make sure that, well, we're writing for kids. So we got to make it as simple and stupid as possible because kids are simple and stupid. You know, it, it knows that kids are not simple and stupid. And it's, it's, it's actually a very, very funny book in, in a lot of respects. And if, if you have seen the movies, the three movies that they made based on this one little book and you've never read the book, then you're honestly doing yourself a disservice because the book is, the, the movies are nothing like the book because they did the Lord of the Rings movies first. They had to, they decided, well, we really need the Hobbit to tie into the Lord of the Rings. And so we're going to make the Hobbit as close to the Lord of the Rings as we can. And uh, the Lord of the Rings, while it is a sequel to The Hobbit, it's 
it's a lot more epic and, and I don't want to say grown up, but it's a lot more serious than The Hobbit was. The Hobbit was a fun adventure about this little dude who is a hobbit. And all hobbits want to do is, is eat food and, and, uh, grow, uh, you know, grow things in the ground and, and drink their ale and smoke their pipe weed. That's all they want. They are just some good old country folk who just want to just be at home and, and, and stay at home. And they don't want to deal with any adventures and whatnot. And one day this wizard comes along and he tells this hobbit, Hey, Bilbo, we're going to, we're going to send you on an adventure. And Bilbo's like, no, thank you. And then these dwarves just start showing up. And before you know it, Bilbo is going off on an, on an, on an adventure with 13 freaking dwarves. And I couldn't name all 13 of them for you right now. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and I'm not going to try, but the purpose of this adventure is to go basically this dragon smog or smog, however you want to pronounce it, because in the in the original animated movie, he was smog. And of course, in the new movies, he's smog, whatever. Big freaking red dragon. That's the one thing that both of them got got right. Uh, these dwarves had this kingdom in the Lonely Mountain, inside the mountain where they mined for jewels and, and this very precious metal called mithril. And uh, the dragon came and drove them all out. And now the dragon lives in the mountain and does nothing but sleep with the gold because that's what dragons like. And so the purpose of this adventure is to get this group together and go see what they can do about getting this dragon out of the mountain. And Bilbo, the hobbit, his entire purpose for being on the journey is he was hired as their burglar. He His job was to get into the mountain and verify A, that the treasure is still there, and B, the dragon is still there. And of course, along the way, he finds Gollum and the ring. So that's how, I mean, you can say that the Lord of the Rings is a sequel to The Hobbit, but really the, it's just, it's the ring ultimately. That's how the ring gets into the world. That's how the ring gets to Frodo, uh, Bilbo's nephew. The, the Hobbit is a nice, it, it, it show it there. There's a lot of Middle Earth in the story, but really, it's a nice short. Um, it's a small story, whereas Lord of the Rings really opens up Middle Earth, right? But the Hobbit is just this fun little adventure, and they have these little adventures as they're going on their big adventure. And again, like I said, it's actually very, very funny. There's some very funny moments in that book. And as I said, if you've seen the movies and you've not read the book, read the book. Palin read the book and I just, I just suggested it to her one day. She just, she was looking for stuff to read. And I said, you should read the Hobbit. She said, all right. On, you know, she checked it out from her school library and she freaking loved it. So we sat down to watch the movies. She got about 20 minutes into the movie and she says, this is not the book and was done, done. Never going to watch that movie with her. This isn't the book. This is stupid. When, what is all this crap at the beginning? What is all this? Because they have this whole prologue in the book uh, that just sets everything up because you want to, when you watch the movies, they want you to be able to watch the movies and then go right into Lord of the Rings. And that, you know, they really should not have tried to tie the two together so closely. I mean, even to the point that the main villains in the book that pursue them throughout or in the, in the, in the movies that pursue them throughout the movie are these orcs. There are no orcs in the book. The orcs come in at Lord of the Rings, but of course, since the orcs were the main bad guys in Lord of the Rings, they had to be the main bad guys in the Hobbit movies. So 
that's what happened there. You know I dream of sleep, curl up like a baby, I don't make a peep. Feel serenity, calm in the mellow, hit cloud nine when my head hit the pillow. You know I dream of sleep, but work come first, rent don't come cheap. So me and a dream are an enemy, my only friend is a five hour energy. I guess it helps if I start breaking down my schedule Day and night, two gigs, not very unusual I heard the wealth trickles down, but the flow is slow I love to kiss you, baby, but it's tender, so I gotta go Grab my smokes, my five hour, and my amp I got a candle in my lab, hoping I don't take a nap Four o'clock on my watch, and there's nothing on the box Three more hours on the clock, wishing I could make it stop Relief stabbed it, fastened to my expedition Speed off to my casa and I have a premonition Of a fatty in the blanket snoozing, dreaming of the lotto 9am alarm is blasted and I'm crying, I don't wanna Hero just like Nemo when I stroll into a dreamer When the kid's around it's like the only place to be obscene Alarm sounds again, says I only have a second 10 o'clock on the dot, at my desk I'm gonna wreck it You know I dream of sleep Alright, the last book, the last on my five books That I think you should really consider reading is The Stand by Stephen King. This is a book that I have read a number of times, and I actually read it before I watched the movie. And the movie, eh, the movie's not that great, but I'll still watch it every now and again. And by the movie, I mean it was like a five-part miniseries on TV, and it had Rob Lowe in it. So, uh, you can't go wrong there. But this is, I think I've mentioned before that I, I just... I really enjoy stories set in uh, post-apocalyptic worlds. And that's pretty much what The Stand was. It spends maybe the first quarter or the first third of the book um, with this disease that just kills off like 90% of the world's population. And then then, then the rest of the book is just about the survivors. And uh, how they have to live in this world. And of course, being Stephen King, you know, he has to, uh, he's got your your good guys and your bad guys. And they're represented, the, the, the bad side is uh, the walking dude, Randall Flagg. He, uh, he, he's getting all the survivors together that have the potential to be evil. And then there's Mother Abigail in Nebraska. And she's collecting all the survivors who are good people. And they, they, they come to them. So, all right. So first of all, this is a really big book. And frankly, if you go buy the book now, you're getting Stephen King's version because this book came out. Stephen King wrote this book when he was not who he is now. And so the original book that I read was, was still a big book, but it wasn't as long because it was edited. He, you know, he had given the manuscript to his publisher and they, you know, they edited it just like any publisher is going to. And then, but eventually Stephen King got to be Stephen King and nobody edits Stephen King. And so they re-released the, the stand, the, the, the Stephen King version of the stand. And it's much longer. And uh, so they spend like the first 25% or so of the book introducing you to all the characters as everyone in the world is dying from this this disease this super flu captain trips and i'm going to warn you right now if you read this book don't read it during cold and flu season as you're reading the book as you're you know in the beginning and you're being introduced to these characters and they have these folks around them that are part of their life 
and someone will sneeze or start coughing. And eventually you realize, oh, that's somebody who's going to die from the disease because that's how it starts. And as you're realizing this, people around you are sneezing and coughing. And now you're worried that uh, Captain Trips is going to kill everybody. And so once you get introduced to all the characters and everybody else in the world has died, these folks start having dreams. And some of them are dreaming about Mother Abigail and some of them are being visited by Randall Flagg, the walking dude. And based on which one they feel more drawn to, that's where they go. And so you have a group of characters that go to Nebraska, and you have a group of characters that go to Las Vegas. And from there, it all comes down to, so at, at that point in America, you've got the people in, in, and I don't think they stay in, they go to Colorado. They meet up and... You know, a group of them meet up with uh, Mother Abigail in Nebraska, and then they all go to Colorado. And so you've got the good guys in Colorado, and you got the bad guys in Las Vegas. And Randall Flagg has this plan to eliminate the rest of the people and start the world over, I guess. And the Mother Abigail has to have, you know, get her people together to stop it. That's really what the book is about. In essence, that's your elevator pitch, I guess you could say. But Stephen King being who he is, you know, there's a whole lot more to it. There's, there's a lot, you know, he, a lot of his stories are very character driven because he is, and he, he'll be the first to tell you, he's what they call a seat of your pants writer. And what he does is he has an idea and then he just sits down and he starts writing. He doesn't outline it. He doesn't know when he goes in, okay, I've outlined this book. It's going to be 37 chapters and Chapter one will deal with this. Chapter two will deal with this. And here's where train here's uh here's the inciting incident within the first 25% of the book that is, and then our hook that gets us going. And then here's uh, where we, we uh, wrap everything up and then we end the book. We're all leading to this one. You know, he doesn't do any of that apparently, he uh he just starts writing and where the story goes the story goes and the one thing i've always heard about stephen king is you know whenever you talk to someone who's read certain books they'll be like oh it was such a great book ending sucked the book was so good but the ending just sucked and that's kind of a testament to his seat of the pants writing he gets to a point where he's like well i guess i got to end this i should probably figure that out at this point and because there wasn't a lot of thought put into how the book was going to end when he started, sometimes the books end kind of dumb. And you can almost say that about The Stand. Uh, I don't know if I would because I do I, – I did feel pretty satisfied with the ending. But you do spend a lot of time in this world with these survivors uh, traveling to Nebraska – then Colorado or to Las Vegas. And there's all this, you know, going into towns where everyone is dead and you have to scavenge stuff. And, you know, just it's the kind it's the, one of the reasons why I like The Walking Dead so much. The Walking Dead for me, the love I have for The Walking Dead has nothing to do with the zombies. The zombies are just the reason why these people are in an empty world and have to figure out how to survive after, you know, technology has gone away. That, man, I just really dig that kind of stuff. And 
The stand has that in full effect. Now, the stand is not for the kids. I would never recommend a Stephen King book to the kids. Looking at my list, obviously I would recommend Where the Wild Things Are to Your Children. That is a great book. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and The Hobbit, also. That's for, anybody can read those. There's not gonna be a lot in that that's gonna, that, you know, gonna offend anybody or anything that's not appropriate for, for kids. Lonesome Dove and The Stand, however, nope. Maybe when they're teenagers. But the others, yeah. As soon as you can, you got kids that are, that are wanting to start reading and they are, uh, grade school level. If they're, you know, still reading the picture books, then you want to get them into the, where the wild things are. If they've graduated up to, uh, chapter books, then the Hobbit. And as, as they get into, uh, junior high, then you, then you want to roll the, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in front of them. And, uh, I think Palin did, well, I know she read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I know she read a few of the books afterward, but I don't know if she ever finished all five books, and I'm still angry that I can't remember all five books. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Restaurant at the End of the Universe, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, Mostly Harmless was one of them. Man, that's going to hit me as soon as I stop recording. I'm going to sit down and start putting this show together, and that fifth book is going to hit me, and uh, man, that just bothers me. Anyway... Those are my five books that everyone in this world should really consider reading. And you know what? I would like to know if you've read any of them and what you think about them. And if you're going to start reading any of them based on this podcast, man, check in with me. Let me know. Which which one are you going to start reading? Have you already started reading? You know, tell me as you're going along how you feel about these books as you're reading them. We could we could freaking start a... Uh, a thread over on the Patreon. You don't have to be, um, well, maybe you do to post on there. We can start a thread somewhere, man. We can do something. Let me know. I'll read it out on the, on the web, on the, on the podcast. But until then, I want to thank everybody for listening. You can email your questions and comments to stevenrls at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment to the episode on the site. That's over at stevenrls.com. You feel inclined to throw a little support my way? You can do that in two different ways. You got two options to do that. If you want to throw some support my way, you be, you can become my patron over at Patreon, and for as little as a dollar a month, you're not only going to feel good that the money that you are using to support me, that I am then going to take that money and use it to support my family. That's going to make you feel pretty good inside, right? When I go out and I buy a jug of milk, you could have paid for that. That could be your, that could be Stacy's jug of milk, Bob's bag of potatoes. You know, that's pretty awesome. But that's not all you're going to get. You also get instant access to my other podcast, which is called My Other Podcast. It releases twice a week and it's exclusive to patrons only, except for the average episode I put out now and again that I just make available to everybody. But most of them are exclusive just to patrons. And you can check that out over at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And hey, if you aren't into the commitment of a monthly payment type thing, you can throw me a one-time payment for as little as $3 over at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash Stephen R. Orr. So over at the Patreon, you can do as little as a dollar a month. They got three tiers over there. The $1 tier, the $2 tier, and the $10 pie in the sky tier. Big leap there. 
The one and two dollar tier gets you the same thing. Okay, you're gonna have access to my podcast, my other podcast. You are gonna get, you're gonna get some free stuff. I I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast because I don't I haven't done a lot of it lately. But I do write. I am a self published author. If I write a book and publish a book while you are a patron, you're gonna get a free copy of that ebook. You're gonna get it for a, for your Kindle. You're gonna get it for your Nook. You're gonna get a PDF version. Whatever, however you read ebooks, you're gonna get a copy of that for free at the one or two dollar tier. At the ten dollar tier, you get a chance to win a stack of comics from me. That started here in December. And what I what I put out there for December is anybody that joins that $10 tier in December will get a stack of books in January. After that, at the beginning of each month, so in February, I'll take everybody who is in that $10 tier, draw a name, and that person's gonna win some comics. They're gonna be comics out of my collection. Are they gonna be great? I don't know, probably not. You might, I might not, I may not think they're great. You may love them, we'll see. I got a, a small stack already started for folks in December. So get on that, because December's almost over. The theme song for this episode is Worship by Trinity X. You can find it and more songs from the band at AtomicZombieRecords.com. The rest of the music from this episode comes from Beefy. You can find him online at Beefy.BandCamp.com. And of course, the links will be in the show notes. So until next week, folks, I'm Steven, and this has been my podcast. I'm out. Good job. Yeah.